Isaiah 7. So, uh, yeah, that's Isaiah. Um, nice tailor. Uh, the poor guy, though, he had, obviously has a watch chain, and the watch hasn't been invented yet. But anyway, he looks really good, I think. Um, so, uh, but that would be about how old Isaiah was at this point. Isaiah was not an old man yet. He's got a long life ahead of him in these days. Isaiah, who becomes king about the year that Uzziah dies. So he is, I mean, becomes a prophet about the year that Uzziah dies. So he, he's not that all that old. But when Ahaz, so this is all Isaiah 7, all the, in the gray here. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Reason of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So they are right up to the city gates. They just can't get in. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, I... Sometimes when I, when I read this in Isaiah and other things in Isaiah, I think he's kind of getting poetic here. But there's a reason Isaiah uses this language. Because how, just how much of a believer is King Ahaz? This guy who's making his own idols and sacrificing and all this. You know, he's just... And so what's going to work on him? How will the Lord communicate to him? How must the Lord communicate to us all? Law... And gospel. So where's the law in this text? He was shaking like in his boots like a tree of the forest shaken by a hurricane. He is terrified. This is the law at work. The Lord is saying, you dummy, I'm going to throw enemies at your gate. It's time to repent. And what we're going to see is that even though the Lord also offers gospel, Ahaz does the opposite every time the Lord holds out the gospel to him. He, he, he is so stubborn. Um, he is the great donkey of Israel. I probably should have gotten a slide of that. I'll make one someday. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, or Shear Yashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool and the road to the washerman's field. The washerman's field is uh, north of the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is surrounded by valleys on three sides. East, Kidron Valley, where Jesus rode into the city from, on Palm Sunday. South, we've seen the picture of the Valley of Gehenna or Ben-Hinnom. And, and which is also, and then on the, on, the, on the other side, swooping down around the city, is something called the Tiropoean or the Valley of the Cheesemakers. North, it's connected to the plateau above. And up there... There was a, a flat level place, a nice depression in the ground was there. They could fill it with water and probably uh, lie, I'm thinking. And why would you do that? Have a puddle? To wash clothes. And so if you can imagine, say, uh, let's say Pastor Sharf's girls. If you can imagine those two girls, like in a little puddle like that, stomping on shirts. Then with a stick, flipping them over, stomping on them again. Then they, and then put them into the next pond or puddle to rinse them. And then they'd hang them up. And hopefully the girls would remember, if they're walking in lie all afternoon, to rinse their feet. 
before they go home. You know, you don't want that corroding your anyway. That's 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 the what the what the what the washers would do. So they're up there near that thing, and Isaiah and his son go out there um, to talk to the king who is terrified um, and what's going on here. So he meets Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct there. Isaiah was told, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Reason and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves and make the son of Tabiel king over it. I don't know who the son of Tabiel is. I always forget to look him up because it doesn't make any difference because the next verse is, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen for the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only reason within 65 years Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. In fact, a lot less than that. The head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. And again, the Lord decides, I'm going to give this guy another chance. Let's give him real gospel. This is military gospel, right? Have faith in me. It's going to be okay. But the Lord is going to say, you know what? We could go for something else here. Let's add a little bit of great gospel more than just military, let's go to the Savior. So again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. What are, he, the Lord offers, ask anything. What are some of the things people ask for in the Bible that God says yes to? Wisdom, I'm talking about signs, though, especially. Like, the fleece. That's the first thing that's said this morning, too, the fleece. Oh, Elijah, the fire comes down and, and so forth. And I'm, what about the sun? Um, you know, we're losing daylight, Lord. I want to finish the battle. So could the sun stand still? And the Lord's response, okay, sun and moon stand still for a day. And then you have... You have um, has, uh, Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, is actually going to ask for the son to go back, you know, up, up, up the steps, and, and, and it will. So the Lord asks Ahaz, go ahead, whatever, you know, you want to ask for something? I want to see whales fly. Whatever he wanted to see, he could have seen. And instead, what does he say? I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz, well... Now, now, I don't mean to be flippant, but Ahaz was a husband. So what would he have to do to say, I will acknowledge the Lord? He would have to say, forgive me, in front of his wife, I was... That exactly, that's exactly, I was actually doing Fonzie at that moment, that's right. I was, uh, I was not as correct as I could have been. You know, it, it's, uh, he, he would have to admit to the nation, I was wrong. 
Because he hasn't just like dallied in some other occult. He has been doing everything, everywhere. Every hilltop, under every green tree, he's sacrificing. He's, he evidently was making his own idols. And, and now he says, I'm not, if I put the Lord to the test, the problem is with Ahaz, what if the Lord says yes? Then all this other stuff I've been doing is wrong. So he won't do it. I think that's why he doesn't do it. It's not humility. It's actually the opposite. It's arrogance. So I can't ask the Lord. He might, he might do it. So what does Isaiah say? What does the Lord say? Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you, also, or will you try the patience of God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So God one-ups him and says, you could have asked for anything and I'll, I'll show you. Uh, and and th this, this verse, Isaiah 7, 14, trips up scholars and translators and, and gr the great opponents to God's holy word. But because it isn't a young woman will be with child. What, what kind of a sign woman it, w would it be if, a, oh, a girl will get pregnant? You know, well, what else do you, you know, there is no uh, exception to that. Uh, you know, um, um, but uh, so it, it is Bethula, it is virgin will be with child. I'll do, God says I'll do the impossible. A virgin will, will, will be with child, still a virgin, and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Yeah. The men from Israel took 200,000 of their fellow Israelites captive, including wives, sons, and daughters. They also seized a large amount of plunder from them and took it to Samaria. Plunder, we're going to find out, included things like clothing and shoes and food and, and uh, animals and pack animals and donkeys and medicine and all kinds of things. 200, I, don't, I can't imagine what 200,000 would look like. I mean, New Alm is 13,000, right? 200,000. That's a lot of fugitives, right? And they were all in the immediate area of Jerusalem. I mean, the, the men were dead, and now their women and children are taken into captivity. But there was a prophet of the Lord there whose name was Oded. This is a guy up north in Samaria, so he's a northern prophet. And here we see what's going on here is everything is backwards. The, the north, Israel, that now is taking these captives is shown to be more righteous than Judah in the south. I mean, usually when you're reading the Bible, you're cheering for Judah, right? Um, but the north here is more righteous. And then, by the way, this is the north that's about to fall. On the cheat, remember, Samaria is about to fall in 722. They're almost done for, and yet they're more righteous than Judah at this point. So Oded, this prophet, goes out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry against Judah, he gave them into your hand. You have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. They, they didn't win the battle because the Lord was with them. They won the battle because the Lord was against their opponent. There's no other reason. So there, there's a big difference there. 
Now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem as male and female slaves for yourselves. Do you not have enough guilt of your own against the Lord your God? You know, can I go back to verse 9 for a second? Wouldn't it be good for every victorious nation in war to remember this detail? You may have won the war because God was against your opponent, not because he was necessarily for you. Think about the righteousness of your own heart, not about the righteousness of your cause or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. Finally, from Oded here. Now hear me. Send back the captives whom you have taken from your brothers because the fierce anger of the Lord is upon you. Um, there are a couple of laws in the, in, the, in the laws of Moses that talk about not taking slaves. And one of them is this one in Leviticus 25. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, so he's in debt, so I have to become a slave, do not make him work as a slave. He is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released. Leviticus 25. So you don't take a Jew slave as a slave. You can take an Amorite as a slave, but not a Jew. He's a temporary worker, and he'll work off his debt, period. Um, Jubilee is every 50th year. Mm -hmm. Seven sevens. And then on the 50th year. So if you think about it this way, um, the Jubilee kind of happened once in a lifetime for most Israelites at least once in an adult lifetime. So what's the Jubilee a picture of? It's release from bondage and everything goes back the way it used to be. It's a picture of the resurrection and of heaven. It's a once in a lifetime image of God releasing us from all debt and so forth. And they got to see this happen for most Israelites once, once in their lifetime. And, uh, and, and yeah, so they, uh, however, if the Jubilee happens in an, in an Israelite servant thought, I've, I've got it better with this guy as my master than I ever had it working for myself. He could ask to be enslaved. And that's when you get this rule that he was to be put up next to a doorpost and they stuck it all through his ear and gave him a ring, an earring, and then he became, that was his mark of a servant, a slave for life. So he could, that, but that's only if he opts in. Otherwise, he's done. So he, but he could opt in. And some people's personality is such that they'd rather be a servant. You know, maybe I'm terrible with money. I can never get a farm to work or whatever. Maybe I'd just rather, you know, feed the cows for, you know, for Bob than ever work for myself. Some of the leaders of Ephraim, I'm going to finish the sentence, took a stand against those returning from the battle. Their names are Azariah, son of Yochanan, Berechiah, son of Meshillamoth, and anybody want to try that name out? <laughs> Jehizkiah. Um, Jehizkiah, Jehizkiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlai. Oh, they took a stand. Now, one of these guys is the son of Shalom. I told you at the beginning of the class, Shalom had been the king that bad king Menahem had killed. And now Shalom's son, this is less than a generation later, could be the same guy. This could be the son of King Shalom, is one of the righteous men of the north. These four men, however, they come and say this ain't right. And 
They said to them, you must not bring the captives here because it would make us guilty before the Lord. You are proposing to increase our sins and our guilt because great guilt rests upon us and fierce anger burns against Israel. And it, they're, they're 10 years from the collapse of Israel forever. They knew it was coming. So the armed men left the captives and the plunder in front of the officials and the whole assembly. The, the, the captors walked away. Now 100,000 100, people. Was it 120,000? Is that our number? Something like that. The men who had been designated by name got up and took custody of the captives. So for the four of us, each one has to take custody of 5,000 people. You know, that's no fun, but go do that now. What did they do? From the spoils, they provided clothing for all those who were naked. They clothed them and provided them with sandals, with food and drink, and with salve for their wounds. I'm going to mention this because I've decided I've got to start mentioning this more often. This is one of the passages in the Bible, and there are many that talk about using the medicine of the time as being a good and godly thing. Medicines change over the centuries, but in the Bible, it's always okay to use the medicine of the day you live in. That's never forbidden. It's never a sin. So you live in a time, there's medicine, use the medicine. Um, uh, they transported all those who were weak on donkeys. They brought them to Jericho, the city of Palms, to their fellow Israelites. Then they returned to Samaria. So they're at, they, they took them from, Israel, from, from Jerusalem. They go up to Samaria, and then to bring them back, they don't go back to Jerusalem. And there's kind of a question here, why not? Well, you were just at war, and they're probably mad down there, right? So although commentators scratch their heads about this, I didn't. Um, I think Jericho was evidently not part of the contested territory, so it's a neutral, kind of a neutral place. It's down on the river. It's away from Jerusalem. It's also, even today, a healthy resort area. It's called the City of Palms because there are oases around there. You've got little uh, nooks and crannies of, the Jordan, of, of rivulets going to the Jordan River, and you've got growing things and shade. And People go there today for their health. It's a nice place to go. And it's also got, although it's away from Jerusalem, it has good access to Jerusalem for people following their recovery. And they have donkeys. So about a day's walk. Not, no, not even, a few hours walk. If you're ever in Israel and you get to walk, the, the walk from, you know, this is, this is the Good Samaritan path. If you get to walk from between Jericho and Jerusalem, Opt to walk down to Jericho, not up to Jerusalem. It's, it's <laughs> steep and rugged, and uh, better better to get the, the taxi at the bottom of the hill than at the you know. Than, okay. At that time, King Ahaz sent a request for help to the kings of Assyria. Um, it says kings plural here. We may have had a changeover. Um, Tiglath Pileser becomes king around this period, and. Maybe that he didn't know how many or who was king at this time. It's possible. Once again, the Edomites came and defeated Judah and carried away captives. I think verses 16 and 17 are connected by effect and cause. I think that because of the Edomites, he sent away for help. Does that make sense? I mean, it looks like the verses are backwards, but I think that they're connected this way. 
The Philistines also made raids on the cities in the Shephelah. The Shephelah is the foothills. And the Negev, the Negev is that deep trough valley in the south um, of Judah. They captured Beth Shemeth, Aijalon, Gedaroth, Soko and its villages, Timnah with its villages, and it's pronounced Gimzo. Let's all say the other one. Gizmo, it's not Gizmo, nor is it Gonzo, uh, who had a long nose, uh, with his villages, and they settled there. Um, these are those villages. Uh, I don't know if I want to spend a lot of time on these, but, uh, but the Philistines are sort of on the coast. You can see their, 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 their cities, and they make inroads. The one I want to talk about, especially, though, is uh, Timnah, which is... On the, of the three that are furthest on the left, Timnah's the middle one by Ashdod, kind of. Timnah is where the, also where the Valley of Sorek was. Um, that's where David killed Goliath. No, no, the Valley of Elah. I'm sorry, the Valley of Elah, where David, David and Goliath met. Okay. And then you have the Edomites coming up from the south. So Judah's got problems, and he, he asks for the Assyrians but it's a little bit like in the Cold War. Did America ever get nervous about, say, the South Koreans in, or the North Koreans in the, in the Cold War and ask for help from Russia? That's what he does. He, 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 who's, my, who's the greatest enemy I could, I, could, I could have? I'll ask him for help. That's what he does. And the Lord brought Judah low because Ahaz, king of Israel, had let Judah had led Judah to throw off all restraint. He had been very unfaithful to the Lord. This guy just gets criticized again and again and again. This actually is Tiglath-Pileser. Those of you who have been to my office have seen my styrofoam carving of Tiglath-Pileser on my door in my office. Um, I had a day off once and did this anyway. What else do you do with a day off? Um, when Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came, he marched against Ahaz and oppressed him instead of strengthening him. Just for the record, uh, Pileser is not spelled Pileser in this particular verse of the Bible. Instead, it's, it's spelled Pilneser, which usually looks like it's Pilsner. Um, Pilsner is a city in Bohemia right next to Budweiss. And they're both famous for their beer. <laughs> Pilsner, Budweiser. In, in Assyria, where they spoke the Akkadian language, the word for beer was Heineke. <laughs> just so I would carry that out to its natural punchline. And let's just leave that alone. But um, So Tiglath-Pileser comes down. Ahaz took some things from the house of the Lord from the palace of the king and from the officials. So he, he loots the, the temple, the palace, and all of his wealthiest people and gave them to the king of Assyria, but it didn't help him. So he tries to bribe him and it doesn't work. In the time of his distress, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. That was the way he was. That's a wonderful translation of a difficult phrase in Hebrew. Other translations don't do that with this verse. They'll say something like, in the time of his distress, he became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He was King Ahaz. But it, 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 I, I like the way the EHV translator did this. That's the way he was. That God gives, offers him help and he goes the other way. 
He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him. Where's your logic there? He said, because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them so they may help me. But they were his ruin and the ruin of all Israel. By the way, Ahaz had gone to Damascus earlier in his life. He saw a beautiful altar there to the gods of Aram. And he made a sketch and came back down. This is in the book of Kings. He came back down to, to Jerusalem and told his craftsmen, hey, make this for me, will you? So, Ahaz gathered the articles from the house of God and cut all these things from the house of God to pieces. So, gold this, gold that, bronze this, bronze that. Too big to carry? Let me cut, you, cut that up for you so you can take it, O king. He just gave everything away. He shut the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. So, and I think this means every street corner. When I was a kid um, back in Poinette, um, there were uh, cement obelisks about three feet high with an iron ring on the top. What were they? They were the last remnant of, of a hitchin post. Mm -hmm. There were just a couple of them around. And the, but my, my grandma told me that they used to be on every street corner. And there, is there one in town or two? Somewhere yeah. on State Street. Street. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So had these back in Poinette. <laughs> in each and every city throughout Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods. He provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. And as for the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, you can find them written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And how did this man die, do you think, at the age of 36? The Bible, uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit says, who cares? Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of Jerusalem. They did not bury him in the tombs of the kings of Israel. Now, earlier we had a king who didn't get to rest in the tombs. Who was that? Two, two of them. Leprosy guy had to be elsewhere. And one other guy who was super wicked who they buried, but they didn't give him, they didn't even give him a funeral pyre. That was, well, that was in Judah. That was Ahab's, the northern king. But anyway, so it tells you that the people didn't think very much of him. His son, Hezekiah, ruled as king in his place. I want to, I know we're over time. I want to show you a couple things. This is a bulla, which is the impression of a signet ring. This actually says, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah. And it has his fingerprint on it. So we could do like detective work. Um, Hezekiah, his son, also has a bulla. Um, uh, which has the weird thing of an ankh, which is an Egyptian like immortality symbol. Um, almost every year, some catechism kid comes to me and says, Pastor, my grandma gave me this weird cross with a loop on the top and I'm like oh great it's an Egyptian symbol of okay it's not a Christian symbol but okay thank you grandma this one belonged to Baruch Jeremiah's scribe it's the actual one those are all authentic bullae okay all of them this one 
that says Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the Navi, look at how beautiful that looks. Either this picture has been cleaned up by somebody or else it's just totally fake. You know, often with ancient things, how can you tell fake money? They look too good. And this bulla looks way too good. Um, so I don't know if that's a real one or not. But the other ones certainly are. So evidence, our archaeological evidence that Israel was there, that these things all actually happened in the, here in the 8th century B.C. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.